welcome to the Roommates Podcast. This is a podcast about rheumatology and it stars me, Jack and my friend Mike and we try to make sense of the complicated world of rheumatology and musculoskeletal practice. Hi everyone, Jack here from rheumatology.physio and we've got another episode of Roommates where I discuss with Mike Dare a new paper released relatively recently out of Leeds where they looked at uh, muscle bulk, muscle strength in rheumatoid arthritis patients versus controls and how that differed through a patient's uh, journey after diagnosis, well before diagnosis and then afterwards and versus controls and it threw up some really interesting um, differences which Mike and I discuss and the implications upon our practice. So I hope you enjoy our chat, we really enjoyed it, we're hoping to try and get these in more frequently but um, life keeps getting in the way as well as other projects. Um, if you do enjoy our podcast then please do head to my website and you can see all sorts of other resources that I might make there including my blog um, and also my shop and I don't normally ask this but if you would consider going to the shop and buying some resources from there. It will, one, help you with your uh, clinical reasoning and your rheumatology knowledge, but it also helps uh, myself to keep making these resources and putting some of this stuff up for free. Otherwise, I'm going to have to go and get a, uh, a more paying job where I can't do this kind of thing. And, um, and that would be unfortunate both for my enjoyment, but also for everybody's learning in the physiotherapy world as I try and make sense of some of this medical um research for us all. So uh, please do consider that. So my website is rheumatology.physio and if you just put a forward slash shop on that then that'll get you straight to the shop. You can have a look there. Um, obviously please do consider having a little purchase from there. We've got booklets and a new ebook for you to have a look at. Um, so I'll leave you in peace and get on with the show and um, hopefully you enjoy it. So um I found, I, I don't know about you, I found this paper, uh, one, very interesting, but two, confirmed all of my biases, which is really nice. Um, <laughs> it, um, I think it's something that I have wondered about and understood to probably be the case for a long time, that um, rheumatoid arthritis patients lose muscle bulk. Um, but this paper sort of shows it quantitatively, even even in this like relatively small um, participant numbers, um, but is it is that was it something that you sort of thought was the case before, or is that is this this I can't I don't believe this is new to you. Um, I mean, I I I was always aware of the fact that you know patients that we saw in clinic with uh, rheumatoid arthritis had, for example, decreased grip strength. Um, and I would say some element of um, sarcopenia, if you would. Um, but I mean, the, the the paper was really insightful for me in the sense that um, I wouldn't have expected such major changes of kind of fatty infiltration and sarcopenia to be happening in in the thigh muscles and and the hamstrings because we always seem to, you know expect rheumatoid to have more manifestations, particularly in early disease in the hands and feet. Mm. So it was really interesting to me that there were such changes in muscle bulk and fatty infiltration in the muscles of the thigh and hamstring. I, I found that really fascinating. 
Yeah, I remember I went on a course. Um, oh, I can't even remember when it was now, like 2012, 2013. And they had a they had a guy there who was um, he was a nutritionist. And he was talking about fatty infiltrate in proximal muscle bulk then. And they were talking about treating that with um, protein supplementation. So I had wondered about that in the past. But this is certainly the first time I've seen it in um, sort of this measure um, in any way. And I think that struck me. And we've been talking a lot, me and you, on, well, this podcast a bit, but on Twitter quite a good chunk about sort of systemic inflammation and the changes. And we talk about a lot of, about that with obesity, but also with um, the inflammatory conditions and how the inflammation doesn't just stay sort of where it is. Like So like you said, it rheumatoid arthritis inflammation doesn't just stay in the hands and feet. It goes all over the place. And that's where we get like the increased cardiovascular disease problems, um, but also clearly this um, change in muscle bulk as well. And I think what really struck me was how fast it happens. Um, yeah. So I thought it was going to be, I mean, I was happy that in in sort of long-term rheumatoid arthritis patients, their muscle bulk would dip off, their grip strength would dip off. But um, for it to happen before diagnosis um, surprised me. And the fact that it was sig- really quite significant as well. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the paper was really insightful from that point of view. It, it also really busted um, quite a few myths for me. Um, one one of the major ones is, you know, I always had the the conception that a lot of the kind of um, myopathy or sarcopenia in, in our rheumatoid patients was steroid induced, mm. um, because you know typically in the early stages for the first three to six months, you know we we have patients on on kind of pred in in the range of 10 to 20 milligrams a day and then we kind of gradually wean them down as the conventional DMARDs take effect but this study quite clearly has demonstrated that even kind of um, DMARD naive rheumatoid patients um, as in those who have very early disease before initiating treatments already seem to have marked sarcopenia Mm. so that was really interesting for me and I think it it just further cements this um, conception, as you said, Jack, that, you know, there is definitely a kind of catabolic effect that inflammation has on muscle mass. Um, And I mean, we we see in in many patients how I I like to refer to adiposity. I'm not sure if that's even like a medical accepted (laughs) word, but... We, we see it in a lot of patients that the more adipose tissue people carry, the more aggressive the inflammatory disease is. Mm. And I think the biggest um, example of that that we can see is in our psoriatic arthritis patients who, who tend to be, you know, a bit overweight and, and they, they do tend to have a high um, kind of adiposity, if you would, as, as part of the kind of spectrum of the condition. Um, but we we tend to find that the more kind of fatty tissue patients have, the more aggressive their disease is. So there's, there's definitely a link there, I think. Yeah, for sure. I I, I, um, I remember reading a psoriatic arthritis um, paper about demographics, and they, on average, are more overweight than rheumatoid arthritis patients. And rheumatoid arthritis patients are more overweight than sort of controls. Um, so I'd, um, I would agree with you on that 
psoriatic arthritis point. Um, that was one of the questions I was going to ask you actually about whether we could, whether we would extrapolate this to other inflammatory conditions. I have no reason why we wouldn't. Um, but I thought um, while we're just quickly talking about the sort of the results of the study, I thought the other interesting thing was that the muscle bulk, muscle volume and strength didn't return to the same as the controls, even when they were in clinical remission. So they'd, once their, once their rheumatoid arthritis had been uh, sort of reduced significantly down, the, those patients didn't return to the same levels of strength and volume that the, that the controls did. Um, and I, I found that slightly surprising as well. I thought they would have returned because you, because we're obviously thinking, you know, um, if their rheumatoid arthritis is well controlled, then they should be back to normal function. But clearly, they're they're not quite back to control function. Yeah, and I mean, I I think that that kind of um, result or conclusion makes sense to me um, because even even in our rheumatoid patients that have really d- good disease control and DAS scores, you know, less than um, two point we we would kind of quantify them as being in remission um we know that those patients have a higher cardiovascular risk um despite being in remission than healthy controls so i guess what what the findings kind of illustrated to me is that even if rheumatoid is well controlled uh, as in they're in remission and and their kind of therapy is is maintaining the, a very low das there is still an element of inflammation circulating, isn't there? And, and maybe that, that could kind of explain the, the ongoing loss of muscle mass despite really good disease control. Yeah, I agree. And I think if we could, um, we could extrapolate that to the, to the pre-diagnosed as well, because there's, I've, I've read um, things about there sort of being a pre-clinical phase. So people will have an elevated level of inflammation, but no joint symptoms. So, they could be having this increased inflammation in their muscle bulk being affected before they re- get the hand pain, hand stiffness, swelling, that kind of thing. So I wonder if some of that's at play um, as well, that they've had this sort of lower grade inflammation affecting them. And then as they generate the symptoms, then they go to get diagnosed and they've already had muscle bulk changes. Yeah, I mean... I think the the results are are kind of transferable to many of the rheumatic um, conditions we see. I mean, we we know in, for example, the spondyloarthropathy patients is that patients with high higher BMI, you know, the AXPAR patients with high BMI, they tend to have much worse symptoms, don't they? Um, and you know, they they seem to have more aggressive disease. So, I think. There, there definitely is um, a link, you know, be, between um, kind of aggression, let's say, or disease activity, um, and I, I guess overall level of conditioning and and you know, fatty tissue. I guess is is the right uh, um, word to use, and I, I think that concept has been pretty well studied and proven in osteoarthritis as well, hasn't it? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, definitely. And I think I'd be, I th- I'm sure you'd be the same. I'd be really interested to see them re- redo this study in, uh, in axial spondyl arthritis patients or, um, or similar, or like a, um, or a psoriatic arthritis patient and see if they do get the same degree of difference um, or whether it is, whether it's closer, whether there's a special ingredient in rheumatoid arthritis that makes that muscle loss worse or 
whether the other patients are are the same because I think there could be some demographic differences like I know in this study I haven't got the numbers in front of me but there were mostly women in this study whereas if we had an axial spondyloarthritis study you'd, you'd assume there'd probably be a bit more men in there um, so I wonder whether that that would bring up any any slight differences um, or whether it was purely down to you know the fact that they had a disease versus not disease yeah, I, I would imagine so. And, uh, you know, I wonder if the predominantly kind of axial manifestations and enthesial mm. manifestations of AXPAR would have a different sarcopenic effect as opposed to the kind of peripheral synovial um, disease activity that we see in rheumatoid. Um, but, I mean, I guess that's a study, you know, that for, for future um, kind of study, really, I guess. Yeah, we'll, ha- we'll, um, well, we, we both follow uh, Dr. Tan on, on Twitter, don't we? So we'll, uh, we'll have to tweet her and say, can you redo this in a, uh, in a slightly different cohort and get back to us when, yeah. <laughs> when you've done it? Um, yeah, I mean, from, um, from your point of view, do you, do you think, uh, probably, probably, I might change your practice to a degree. Do you think this will change your practice at all? I mean, I've, I've just written a blog, which I put out last week, where it changed my practice a little bit and what I suggest people do. Uh, but I, do, I wonder if it changed your practice at all with regards to referring people for strengthening programs or um, dietary supplementation earlier or in general. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think the, the study um, emphasized two things for me, really. Um, the the first was that the the results clearly demonstrated that the the kind of sarcopenic or fatty infiltration um, was less for patients in clinical remission with rheumatoid, even though they still had uh, fatty infiltration and and sarcopenia. The the kind of effect of that was less for patients in clinical remission. So um, I, it it really emphasizes the whole concept of, you know, early inflammatory arthritis and the whole push from from the NHS and BSR to get patients on treatment and get them into remission quickly. Um, And I think also through um, a lot of um, Dr. Island's work is we know that um, exercise has a massive anti-inflammatory effect as well, doesn't it? That's also a a well-proven fact is um, it decreases levels of inflammatory cytokines, it decreases adiposity, um, it improves circulation in your muscles. So it has a massive beneficial effect. So, I mean, I, I think as as a physiotherapy or a medical fraternity, we really need to bust or bust this myth that rheumatoid patients shouldn't be, you know, doing heavy resistance exercises or, you know, very challenging aerobic exercises, running marathons, um, and so forth. Because I think it, these kind of things really are beneficial for these patients. We're going to promote muscle mass. We're going to uh, maintain function, and we're going to decrease levels of inflammation. So it's definitely going to, you know, I, I'm going to have a much stronger emphasis on on really encouraging my patients to to get active. And, and challenge themselves functionally with exercise. Yeah, I think I, I, I mean, I totally agree as well. What my blog says, I think, um, I mean, I'm, I usually am I'm really strong on advising people to up their activity levels if possible, and this only adds weight to that, really. Um, 
you've said adiposity about 30 times in this podcast so i just, go- <laughs> I just googled it for you um right. the top definition on google says adiposity a condition of being severely overweight or obese so right. well um, I, I i thought that was a mike dare at all clearly clearly it's you've been beaten to the punch on that one um <laughs> perfect yeah i mean i think um I think from my point of view, it's, you know, I think we we have all this, like you said, we have all this research that exercise is safe for these patients. And it just adds more weight to the fact that they should be um, they should be exercising, really. And it's probably an unfortunate fact for those those patients that don't really want to, that actually they're going to do a lot better if they do. Um, and those that do want to, then brilliant. Let's encourage that as much as possible, I think. Yeah, I, I think also the, the the current way pathways work and stuff is generally your your rheumatoid patients will get referred for a hand therapy mm. uh, consultation, for, you know, for joint protection advice and exercises, managing flare ups and so forth. And maybe we need to we need to shift our focus away from just the hands mm-hmm. um, in rheumatoid because we've got this data that shows this kind of sarcopenic effect. Um, and the study also showed that there, there's a, a, d- a definite relationship between muscle mass and muscle strength. Mm-hmm. And we know that muscle strength is directly um, related to function, isn't it? So if you, if you have really weak glutes and quads, you're going to struggle to get up from sitting into standing, for example. So maybe we need to, we need to shift our focus as, as a, a rehab and a physio fraternity away from just the hands in our rheumatoid patients and really push more for functional whole body based exercise and yeah. push strength based exercise as well. Yeah. And I think definitely. we need to change the concept as we said before that heavy load damages joints in this condition because mm. it doesn't yeah. it doesn't support that at all does it? So No, exactly. And and it's it's like you said you, you're going to get the short-term sort of anti-inflammatory benefit but the long-term increase in function and strength and then those those benefits on cardiovascular disease later as well it's just a no-brainer really um i think uh, i think like i said the patients just really however we go about convincing them we need to convince them that they've got to undertake you know it doesn't have to be a formal exercise program in the gym of lifting weights but it's it's got to be a challenging exercise program of some kind where they where they push their push their muscle and cardiovascular systems to adaptive change really and i think that's the that's the message that we that we keep getting through from these um from these studies yeah i mean i i think often in in these situations isn't it it it, it can be kind of a snowball effect mm. that we see with patients so you know they they obviously have this acute onset of uh, inflammatory polyarticular arthritis they're very painful you know that they, they have high levels of anxiety and all of these kind of things and i guess staying active um becomes kind of li- the least of your priorities you know and probably once they get into moderate uh, disease activity or into remission it's really not something that's encouraged for them to return to so that's probably something that we really need to push um, in, in our clinics with our patients and probably something that, you know, on social media, um, on kind of NHS education um, pl- platforms, you know, from the National Rheumatoid Arthritis Society, we really need to push 
um, the fact that exercise is safe for rheumatoid patients and you know any exercise is good high load low load endurance strength whatever it is that patients enjoy um anything is going to be good to prevent the sarcopenic effect really yeah perfect and and, and as you say i think it needs to be from from the minute that the peop- that people are um suspected of having rheumatoid arthritis that needs to be the message that's pushed along isn't it um that the more you can keep active the better really even even right at that beginning stage yeah yeah that's exactly it mm. that's exactly it. cool perfect well um i think we definitely need to um point towards dr aileen and we've both been following her tweets recently haven't we and the rest of the the um authors on this paper i forget quite where this paper's out of is it leeds or is it yeah so um, I, I had the, the pleasure of meeting some of the authors um, when I went on the Axial Spondyloarthritis Fellowship mm. uh, at Leeds Uni. So I had the pleasure of meeting um, Dr. Island Tan and um, Professor Paul Emery, I believe it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, what a wealth of knowledge. Um, and, you know, they they very pro, you know, healthy lifestyle exercise and and besides the drugs, just doing all we can from a non-pharmacotherapy point of view in managing these conditions. Mm. Um, and I, I really like the bias that um, they have and some of the studies coming out which really prove the value of exercise in, in terms of its anti-inflammatory effect and, you know, many other beneficial effects. So, you know, it's a big thumbs up to mm. the team up there and to Leeds. Um, I really, I really like the work that they're doing. Yeah, and it's very yes, useful yes. for physios, I think, mm. because it really just cements um, the fact that we can make a massive difference in in these patients. You know. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I'm glad they keep publishing papers that agree with my position, so I don't have to change my <laughs> slides for when I teach and that kind of thing. So if they could keep that up, that'd be ideal. There'll be a paper yeah. soon where I'd be like. You know, you shouldn't shouldn't do exercise in a specific cohort of people. I'll have to change all my slides. But uh, until that day happens, we can keep pushing the agenda that we do. Um, yeah. Perfect. Well, I think that brings us up to about 25 minutes of, uh, of audio here, Mike. So that was a that was a great chat. I'm glad we um, we talked about this one. We'll have to try and do these more often. But, you know, I'm, we're both busy, aren't we? Um, and um, I definitely think we should try and get some um, some guests on to speak to us as well. And we'll try and learn a bit more. Dr. Dr. A. Lynn would be great to come on. Um, yeah. Whoever we and can I, find. I, I think she'll be quite keen um, to, to come and chat. I mean, she she seems to be really um, pro-physio's uh, involvement in, in a wide spectrum of rheumatic diseases. I, I think because she, in her research, has really shown how valuable exercise can be. Um, so I think if, if, uh, if we approached her for the opportunity to chat to a very wide physiotherapy audience i think she'd be quite open to that yes i agree i agree yeah talking of that i think we um when i added the youtube and um youtube and podcast listens together we just ticked over a thousand for our couple of um podcasts that we've done so far so we're not doing too badly on that front yeah we're, that's we're getting some reach yeah yeah that's good that's good <laughs> perfect all right well i'm gonna let you get on with your evening mike and um and uh, i will speak to you again soon about some more rheumatology stuff because it's fun cool jack that's great thank you very much all right buddy have a good rest of the evening cheers bye, bye.